0: Ready. Aim. Fire. In today's episode, we have Lily from the Frugal Gene on. And what just strikes me about her story is how she thinks she's living a normal life. I think at one point during the podcast, she was like, Yeah, $60,000 isn't that much money, and I only have a million in net worth. Like, it's not that crazy. And I'm just thinking to myself, some people don't even pay off their student loans before they're 40, and you're 27 years old, and you and your husband have a combined net worth of a million, and you think that's normal? So, I mean, that just speaks to the type of lifestyle that they're living, and they're just so intentional with their money. It's almost scary
1: how fast they're accumulating wealth. Yeah, Cody, I mean, she's just a high achiever, right? So her and her husband are doing things that the average person isn't even thinking about doing. Like they're so successful, you know, making all this income, but they're saving over 90% of it. And this is intentional. So even when they've gotten raises along the way, even when they've, you know, made these drastic changes, they are so intentional about saving and planning out a life that doesn't cost them as much. So we already know how valuable that can be on this FI journey. And with that, I'd love to welcome Lily to the show. How are you doing today, Lily? Hi,
0: I'm good. Awesome to hear. Well, we are just so excited to dive into your story. So let's just get started. You have amassed a massive net worth at such a young age, and you were just crushing this FI game. So I guess to start, could you just talk about what got you into this financial independence mindset, the very beginning?
2: I guess when I found out about how like money works, I was just like, oh, that makes sense. Okay, that's nice and kind of decided to get more serious because i mean we were always frugal before but it was more like a well we don't know what to do with this money and then after we sort of got married and decided that you know someday we might want a family we decided to look into the math and we're like oh this is actually pretty doable like this is actually really doable so now we have kind of like a meaning like a goal and we just kind of cultivated that even more. And now we're here.
1: Yeah, Lily, like just hearing that your story really connects with me just because you also weren't born in the U.S. And anytime I hear something that has to do with meaning and finding purpose, I'm curious, do you think that your background had anything to do with, you know, why you're so passionate about this concept? Did how you grew up affect how you think about money? Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. The way I grew up is probably the number one reason why I am all about meaning and the goals and legacy. I watch my parents work a lot and I mean, I honestly thought that they were doing it right. And then, you know, you fast forward 10, 18, 20 years in the United States and you realize that they don't have very much and they don't have very much because even though they were working hard, they were working incorrectly. Like they were not investing their money. They were not looking to grow their income. They were just day in, day out, get the job done. There was no goal except to, you know, watch me grow up and they had nothing else planned besides that. And that's not what I consider a fulfilling life for myself. My life is my life. It's not going to be about like just my kids or I want my inner soul to be as rich as my bank account. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I'm t- I'm totally on board with you there. And something that just strikes me is you mentioned how hard your parents worked, but they weren't financially savvy. And I just hate seeing that. Like it's kind of messed up how financially illiterate the United States are just from the schools, the upbringing we have. I know your parents aren't from the States, but it is just crazy to me because you can be the hardest worker. You could work 100 hour weeks. But if you don't understand how money works, and obviously, like us three are very fortunate to have found this fire journey at such a young age. But if you don't know how money works, then you're just stuck in that hamster wheel forever. So I think that's just awesome how you kind of reframe your mindset about money and you figured that out at such a young age.
2: Well, I think when I met my husband, he had $300,000 uh, net worth, a little over that, I think, but... That was how much he had, and I had. I mean, as like a twenty-two-year-old, I had twenty-two thousand. So I thought that was pretty good.
0: Hey, that that is pretty good for a twenty-two-year-old. That's huge.
2: But he kind of just, you know, blew me out the water, and that's when I decided. I mean, I knew we had money for our age, but. I pretty much thought everyone had that amount as long as they were working in corporate America and they save 50% of their income. And then I think I just stumbled on a statistic that said like, oh, it's like majority of Americans save less than 5% of their income. And I was like, that's wrong. You're wrong. The world is wrong. This is (laughs) bullcrap. There's no (laughs) way. There's no way. There's no way. (laughs) I was like, this is insane. Like my husband makes a good income now but when i first met him he was making like i think he was making just barely over six figures but for like a lot of the years even before i met him he was making like an intern salary you know so it wasn't like we were like making half a million a year to save 50% of our income and even when i was living in san francisco i was making like 40 to 60,000 and i was working like two jobs and it sucked But I still managed to save like 40, 50 percent of my income. And this was in San Francisco. Granted, I shared a flat with a bunch of roommates and my parents. So that cut down the cost a lot. But if you're willing, if you want it bad enough, if there's a will, there's a way. So most people don't want it bad enough.
1: And with that, there's just so many little things that I want to dive in just based on what you said. The first thing is, so was that before you found fire that you were actually saving 50% of your income? And also, who was the one that found fire first? And how did you go about getting your spouse on board with this journey that now both of you guys are extremely passionate about and you guys are pursuing together?
2: We were both saving way more than 50% of our income before we met each other. He was saving probably like 80%. I was trying to do my best at like 40, 50, but he was doing 80 because he just was like the single guy with cheap rent and cheap food. And he was content. He didn't know anything about finance besides like, you know, okay, don't spend all that you make and save a little something. But that was about it. He wasn't investing in anything either until I came along and I was like reading some Boglehead book. And I was like, um, honey, I don't think we're doing this right. (laughs) A few Google searches led me to like Mr. Money Mustache and Financial Samurai. They tend to be the first ones pop- that pop up on Google. <laughs> and I kind of just got the ball rolling from there. And it was kind of a fight to get him along with it. I remember trying to tell him to like put his money into Vanguard, which took like a week of fighting to get him to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did he just have it sitting in the bank account yeah. before? Or yeah. what, what was he
1: doing?
2: For eight, Yeah, for uh, like eight years. Wow. <laughs>
0: wow.
1: <laughs> but yeah. but wait, Cody, this story actually has a good turn in that that weak process and fight actually led to you guys banking a lot of money. Right, Lily?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was. He <laughs> didn't know what to do with all the Amazon stock he got because he was working at Amazon at the time. And he's been collecting shares of it since he was like going um, to college. <laughs> Wow. And he was like, yeah, like, oh my god, I don't know how much. But you know, we definitely sold some just because we were like a hundred percent in Amazon and it was like, okay, this is not healthy. <laughs> Although I don't know, we could have literally been we could technically be even richer <laughs> if we just decided right. to like go a hundred percent Amazon because they've been on fire these past two years. But it doesn't. it's not about that. It's really not about the money. It's about the peace of mind. And I felt a better peace of mind having a diversified and learning what's, I mean, that's really important, learning how to invest and what we should focus on and how to asset allocate and prepare for your future, which was like another thing that I'm going to go off a little tangent here. But I think a lot of fire is bloated right now. And my husband thinks that as well. And that the returns has been so good. The market has been amazing and everyone's you know kind of rich and fires like such a big topic. But when a recession hits, this community is going to die down quite a bit. So we have to prepare for that.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, we've been riding this bull market for quite some time. Mm-hmm. The returns have just been absolutely insane since the dip back in 08. And at some point, you're right, it's going to have to come back down. but something I kind of want to touch on from some of the points you were making before. So people who don't follow your story and don't know your blog, I know you do share some numbers. So just what's the current work situation? Are you and your husband both still working? What is your savings rate? I know it's completely astronomical. Like people think 50% is crazy, but you guys make 50% look like chump change. So (laughs) just kind of talk about the numbers because this is a financial independence podcast. So we'd love to dive in.
2: Me nor my husband made this kind of money until last year. He got a giant employment upgrade promotion whatever you call it the years before that we were making like half the amount we're making now
1: wow (laughs) (laughs) that's what i said wow
2: (laughs) well my husband has a lot of potential but he doesn't like change so you know when he does make a move it's always a big move but most of the time he just kind of sits still and waits for opportunity something like that but he was making like a little over a hundred thousand, and now he's making over two hundred thousand, so it doubled his salary. And then when I met him, I was making forty thousand, and my I guess side hustles brought in twenty thousand more. But that was basically two jobs and I had to relocate. So I lost both those opportunities and I decided to look for other ones. That included Airbnb, that included dog sitting, that included um, other freelance options. Now I'm basically making, well, last year I made what like, it's hard to say because I am a freelancer. Not sure if those numbers are pre or post tax, but I think I made about eighty thousand last year, and this year I'm looking at probably I don't know like sixty thousand. So I am not like a super high income earner, but my husband considerably is for his age, and we save from that about ninety percent of our income because we optimize for everything, and uh, yeah. That's pretty much it.
1: <laughs> okay, so so the first thing that comes to mind for me is once you get that raise, most people kind of upgrade lifestyle a little bit. So how has that raise affected you guys' lifestyle? Do you guys find that you're saving more? Do you guys spend a little bit more? Like, what does that look like currently?
2: We didn't really upgrade. In fact, we probably cut back because it was the only reason why he decided to go for like an upgrade in employment is because we found fire and we're like, okay, well, we need to increase our income if we want to fire faster or right. accumulate faster. So it kind of occurred the same time and we basically didn't do anything different. Mm-hmm. We kept talking about maybe taking a few vacations, but we just at work and yeah, just feeling contentment and happiness with just the way we are made us very stubborn to change so we didn't inflate anything
1: wow so that is just super awesome great numbers like you guys are both absolutely crushing it so lily like my question for you is you know your husband has this great job and he's doing well obviously but what exactly do you do like freelancing because for me that's a great income like what you make from freelancing is better than a lot of people make in w2 jobs so what exactly does that look like what side hustles are you currently doing and just talk more about that?
2: Yeah, I was really surprised. This is not the first time that someone said, "Oh, like your side hustles is more than my W2." I was the first time I said that I was from, like an actual subscriber, like a reader, and I was like, "Uh, what?" Cuz I always because I come from San Francisco, 60,000 is not a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> um not in San Francisco anyway. So I was like, "Wait, what are you talking about? How? Like I right. what I do?" is something i'm trying to spend a lot of my time building for money down the road if that makes sense like mm-hmm. when you have enough money it doesn't really matter when your next paycheck is coming or how much you're making this year what i'm investing is potential down the road does that make sense
0: wow yeah yes That's like my whole financial independence mindset. (laughs) Everybody
2: focuses on income right now. And I'm like, okay, income right now does not say anything about income the years previous nor the years down the road. What I can do is build a business that is viable and instead and take maybe like a few thousand dollars a hit, like, but focusing my time on harnessing something that could be much more profitable down the road. Good businesses are never profitable within the first few years. They're just not. And most of my income kind of goes towards building for, you know, the projects I've talked about on my blog that I don't really want to exactly reveal. But, you know,
1: <laughs> right.
2: it's, it covers a lot of what I dream my life to be.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you there. And, like, I'm always talking about how it seems like you figured this out also, like, You don't have to trade your time for money on a linear basis. Like it's all about building these businesses and systems that pay you in perpetuity because you front load the work. And like you said, those first two years might suck and you might be just driving so many hours into that business, but 10 years down the road, you're really going to thank yourself for grinding through those years. And just understanding that is so powerful. And I mean, I'd say 99% of people in first world countries don't understand that. And that's what this movement is all about.
2: <laughs> and when they can too, because what's the biggest characteristic separating the rich from the poor is the poor knows when their like paycheck date, like their exact paycheck date is going to come in and they depend on it. When you have money and when you have security by saving a lot of money, when you have those securities, you don't worry about it. Then you could look further ahead because you're not looking at the next paycheck date. And I come from a very poor background. Most, vast majority of my social circle are the when's my next paycheck versus me. I'm thinking 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, I want this done, this done. And I want to start learning the skills for the third thing I want to do because I could afford the time. It is not that big of a deal. Whatever money now is saved is so little. If, if you just do the compound interest like calculations, any money now, it's still not going to be as powerful as a million we already have in the bank account. That's going to do a lot more. It's going to pull a lot harder than whatever we save right now. It really is. It just, when you're young, when you get that money, it's pretty much like the best thing ever. Wow,
1: Lily, you just touched on so many things. And I really hope people are paying attention because you really dropped a lot of knowledge there. I love it. So the first question or the next question that comes to mind is you guys are already worth more than a million dollars. But you guys aren't planning to pull the fire trigger until the next 10 years. So why is that? I mentioned
2: this before. A lot of fire is bloated right now. A lot of the market is bloated right now. There is going to be some hurt coming Not saying when, I don't know when, I'm not, a. (laughs) but I'm saying that you can't fire until there's a recession First people who have fired before they fired Mm -hmm. after the recession, and then it's gone up since and their portfolio has grown since. If you retire now, and you consider yourself fired, you're going to see your portfolio drop a lot. And then Mm -hmm. you're going to have to find some way to get back to where it is now. So we can't retire until post-next recession, like, preferably. And even if we do fire, I never wanted to fire. I said from the first time I started the blog, I was like, yeah, my husband, you know, he doesn't want to work forever. But I love being a freelancer. I want to keep doing this. So it's kind of like when you fire, it's, I guess people think the couples, the two people in the relationship are in sync. I'm not. I want to keep working. My husband could quit. I don't really care. But, you know, he's going to quit and he's going to you know he's going to be helping me.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> You definitely don't seem like the type of people who are going to go sit on the beach all day. Like you guys are <laughs> definitely hustlers with 90% savings rate. It's crazy. And just doing some quick back the envelope stuff, you guys are making between 250 and 300k a year spending around 30. So that's only like 3 years of work if you were using the 4% rule to fire, but like you said, we can't rely on the upcoming market and you just don't want to take a gamble with that bear market. So I know you've been kind of hedging against that bet of the bear market coming with like your real estate properties. So I was just wondering if you could talk about some of the hedges that you've made against a potential bear market in the future.
2: I'm not really worried about that because we have enough. I just don't want any one of us to be completely unemployed when it comes, if that makes sense. Um, Well, I guess that's one hedge. And the other thing is we did sell our rental property um, in, I think, May. I don't even remember. May. I'm going to (laughs) say May. And, you know, like a month later, the news came out that the Seattle market was slowing. And I was like, called it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying there's going to be, you know, a um, drop or anything. I really don't think so. I am bullish long-term Seattle for sure. But there is going to be a bit of a lull, which is good because it means that we're not, you know, insane and we're not in this crazy, hyped up, overvalued, people are just getting greedy, blah, blah, blah. There is when things are slowing down, it's either, you know, people are like, okay, well, you know, can't afford it. Not going to try to play around with the math to try to afford it. I'm just going to sit still and rent for a little while because look at the numbers like the rent does not make sense. there's like no reason you probably save more money like renting for 30 years than the same amount so then what's incentive in buying if you were trying to be a homeowner you know what I mean right so I was just like this doesn't look right I'm gonna sell and uh, I'm not gonna regret it because the rental has nothing to do with what I wanted to do with life and this was a new development if I have all the money in the world and all that I need, which I think I do because my husband is amazing, my dog is cute, we have enough to not worry about anything, I'm not a greedy person, <laughs> then why am I holding on to something that does not bring me happiness? Or it made sense if you think about it from that respect because a lot of people are kind of caught up in the rat race. If you purchase a property, you're supposed to you know, leverage that to another property, blah, 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 and go on and on. Is that what I want to do? God, no. Oh, what I also found out is how much I just didn't like being a landlord. It is so boring combined with moments of like, you know, why isn't the water turning off
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: or something silly like that? It's like, oh, my God.
1: Did you guys like sell all your properties? Because I believe I read that you guys had like three rentals or something like that. So did you guys sell all the property that you guys don't live in? And and how did you guys go about that?
2: It was pretty easy. We just called up a realtor, and uh, he put it on the market for us. And yeah, it was it was pretty easy. And when we were selling it, I kind of got a hint that the market just didn't seem as lively as it was if we posted up like last year or if we like put it on sale last year because there were people backing out over something mm-hmm. like, oh, it's raining, and the house doesn't look so great when it's raining instead of when it's sunny in the pictures. Or something silly like that. And i was just like, that does not sound like a competitive market. <laughs> <laughs> so we still have two rentals, but we live here. So they're just separated to two different because of the way the house is. We just,
0: um, oh one God. is
2: upstairs, one is downstairs. Does that make sense? Yeah. We yeah. sold the one large rental. It still, I mean, it could have been divided into two listings, but I just didn't feel like dealing with two listings. So we just combined into one bigger one. It's it's complicated with Airbnb because it doesn't fit like traditional real estate lingo.
0: <sighs> yeah. So, just in terms of numbers, so what does that kind of look like for monthly income from those two rental units?
2: Just, I mean, this year or including the old one or
0: Uh, no. So just the ones that are attached to your primary residence.
2: Okay. Um, oh, I don't know. It's because this is relatively a new setup. I'm not even sure. Like 30,000?
0: Okay. So, I mean, that's a, that's a sizable amount for two Airbnb units. Like, it sounds like with the lifestyle you guys are living, that cash flow could support that lifestyle. You guys are hedged to the limit. I mean, you got a portfolio of over a million. You're both still working, making great incomes, and you have this $30,000 a year Airbnb thing going on. It's just, you're crushing it on three different levels.
2: You're too much. I don't think so. (laughs) I I still don't think 60,000 is a lot of money. I'm not going to
0: work. But so, I mean, I don't know if I'm just doing the math wrong, but I mean, you're ranking around 300000 Your savings rate is 90% Yeah. going from the pre-tax, so you're spending around $30,000 a year living in a high cost of living area?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> <And> awesome. You- <laughs> wow. No, I-, I think, I mean, I don't know how you don't think you are a super optimizer, but it is absolutely insane when we're talking numbers here. Any person in the Fi community is going to think this is impressive, and if you talk to a normal person, they're going to say that this is impossible because people have trouble (laughs) saving $20 from their paycheck.
2: (laughs) There are people online who think that I'm lying, and I'm like, what is there to lie about? (laughs) Right. I think living in a high cost of area is actually cost saving in a way because we have public transportation. We have a lot of ethnic diversity and that like there's some really good Korean markets with like really fresh produce for like really cheap. So I don't know. To me, I think it's and also Airbnb brings in a lot of money because we are in a highly desirable area to visit and it kind of all correlates. So I don't think it's anything amazing at all. I think it's, I don't know, normal. (laughs) I don't know.
0: Wow, that is just amazing, Lily. The fact that you were so intentional with your money, you were doing things that other people could not even dream of, and all these side hustles, all of these income opportunities, you are taking advantage of. And it seems like this starts with this frugality mindset. So my question is, was being raised in a kind of third-world setting, I know you grew up in a rural-type village in China, did that play into your financial picture?
2: Yeah, I mean, China, when I left... Um, when I was like eight, nine, ten years old, wait, I left nine, ten. sorry.
0: So you were 10 when you came to the States?
2: Well, it was around my birthday. So it gets kind of fuzzy there. Okay. I don't know if you know this, but Chinese calendars, they move the birthdays around depending on the year. I did so not know that. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I don't even get it myself. But my mom's like, would tell me one day when I wake up in the morning, it's like, Hey, it's your birthday. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 so it gets fuzzy, but it was like around when I was uh, nine, 10 years old, but China, when I left, where I come from was a village. If you owned a car, people would, like, follow you around the neighborhood going, like, whoa, you have a car, and it could just be, like, a crappy Honda, but it still be the most impressive thing ever. Yes, I remember my family and I, on the day that we were leaving and going to the airport to come to the United States, my auntie or uncle decided to rent a actual, like, silver Toyota or something. And uh, it was my first time sitting in the car my like, entire life. It was so cool. And then people like all over the village would just kind of come out and gather in a circle and kind of wave goodbye to me. And I was just like, okay, I guess I'm going now.
1: <laughs> wow.
2: <laughs> I was young, so I didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, I'll see you people later. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I've never wow. been back since. So, But I heard basically right after I left, the government took control of the land there. And they kicked everyone out and relocated them into the city, into those giant high-rise apartment, like super dense buildings. And then turned the land, the village I grew up in, into more business, industrial like factories. Wow. So my home isn't there anymore.
0: Yeah, you definitely answered my question because I was just curious because I know TJ's background. He grew up in Nigeria, and he was talking about how it's a very cash-based society where people don't go out and max out credit cards, buy things on credit buy a $500,000 house when they make $40,000 a year. And it sounds like living in a village in China, you kind of came with that same mindset. And I think that is definitely a big factor that pushed you towards this FI lifestyle because you didn't already have that consumerism ingrained in your mind, which is so cool.
2: Yes, and that's one reason why I think a lot of Americans are in trouble because we have this thing called credit. And when I heard about it, I didn't learn about credit until I was 18. And i was in the bank and the lady was like you have to spend money so we could prove that you're good at money and i was looking at her like what and she did not seem phased she gave me a credit card with a hello kitty on it and i now I love hello kitty it's so cute and i was like okay and she told me like you know like be responsible but you have to spend money to build your credit and i was like what still i was like what the heck are you talking about i still can't believe that's how it works but okay i'm I, i'm onto it now but you know i'm like what i mean i learned i was me and my husband were like finance freaks so we were like watching that video on youtube called a hundred year debt cycle it's so scary but basically like 90 percent 97 percent of the money in the economy is borrowed or it's credit so only like three percent of the actual money in our economy is considered like cash or like you actually have value in this and it freaked me out because we borrow from China and China borrows money from us. Like where's the money actually coming from then? You know, <laughs> I don't want to get into it. It's too crazy.
0: Okay. Well, I do want to get into it because I actually work in banking and it is a really scary thing. Like in my role, I do like commercial lending and these loans like never get paid back basically. Like the principal goes down by a few million, but like it's either you refinance it, but no one's paying back a $50 million loan. You either refi with the same bank or you get it from a different bank. And Like you're talking about before it is, it's 10%. That's the required reserve minimum is 10%. So you have a 90% float of all the cash that doesn't have to be held at the bank, which is just absolutely insane. Like if a bank has a hundred million dollars out in lending, it only has to hold 10 million cash, which is so incredibly scary in the case of a downturn. So yeah, I'm totally with you there. And being someone who's in that role, seeing it happen, it's just like, wow, this is the way that the world operates.
2: Mm -hmm, yeah or our world
0: yeah our world the first world
2: (laughs) yes we totally drifted off from the original question
1: (laughs) it was a good tangent
2: (laughs) yes it was a good tangent great tangent
1: okay so what did you guys plan for the future like so you guys are absolutely crushing it on income on saving and side hustle so what does the next couple years look like for you guys
2: you know, a lot of people ask me this question because this is not the first podcast I've done. But when people asked me this before I was like 25 years old and it put a lot of pressure on me to kind of answer like my life or what I wanted to get from my life as a 25 year old. And it was like Okay, I don't know exactly, really. I still don't know. I wish I had an answer. I don't even know if we want a family or when or how many or if we wanted to stay in Seattle or blah, blah, blah. So I don't know, TJ. <laughs> 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 hey,
0: that's completely fair. Something we didn't touch on and people who don't follow your story might not know. Could you just disclose you and your husband's age for us?
2: Oh, um, I just turned 27 and he's 30.
0: Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, that just <laughs> makes the story... Even crazier. You are just – you have amassed this fortune of net worth. You're living on $30,000 a year and you're 27. So, yeah, you're just crushing on so many levels. Most people don't even pay off their student loans until they're like 40. And you guys are positive a million in net worth before you even turn 30. So, I mean, that's just huge.
2: Thank you. (laughs) You're
0: welcome. (laughs) And that's what we want to do on the podcast because, I mean, having role models in this community makes it so much easier to learn that – this isn't some scam. Like, this isn't some crazy thing. It's just being intentional and going back to that thing, understanding that money is a tool. Money isn't something that you have to trade 40 hours to get X number of dollars for. Like, you don't have to go to your shift and work X number of hours to get this paycheck. Like, you can build this business, like you were saying. Maybe the first few years you're not profitable, but 10 years down the road, you'll be well paid. <laughs> yes.
2: If there's passion and if you enjoy what you do, even if you spend 10 years trying your best, it's not time wasted, because you'd enjoy what you do. And you you know, that's really important. I think if I was stuck in a minimum wage job, which I know a lot of people are, I would save as much money as possible until one was comfortable in making that move from working for someone else into working for themselves. If they spend their spare time researching, really researching and working on an idea that is worth pursuing. Most a lot of people in minimum wage jobs, they go home and they, you know, turn on Netflix and they zombie out until it's time to go back to work again, which is not, you know, I think that was me when I just got out of college. I was like, really depressed because I was like, is this life? Like, this is life. You go in and you make a day's worth of pay and then you go home to zombie out to Netflix and then you go back again and you do this for like 45 years, um, that's not what I want. So I think desperation really bred for change. And that was like my first taste of adulthood. I was like, this is bitter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, that is so amazing, because that's something that me and Cody are always talking about on this podcast. And that's something that I personally went through is just zombieing out and not having any intention, not having any plan. And life just kind of sucks that way. Like, if you have no goals and if you have nothing that you're going after and you just spend all your time watching Netflix, watching YouTube, like, life just is terrible. And that is why this concept is just so important, I think. So, Lily, yeah, this has just been so fun to get to know more about you and know more about your story. So, with that, can you share with the people listening where can they find you and where can they learn more about your content and your story?
2: You can find my personal finance slash diary blog at the dot com, Um, and yeah.
0: Yeah. So just for the listeners, that's G E N E (laughs) frugal. Oh yeah.
2: Sorry. Not like pants, (laughs) like DNA.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, but this would not be the fire below zero podcast. If we didn't bring you through the spitting fire segment, where you get to drop the hottest financial knowledge on our listeners. Are you ready for this, Lily? Yep. All right. (laughs) Welcome to the Spit and Fire segment, where we get to pick the brains of some of the best and brightest in an effort to live better, more intentional lives. Are you ready to transform your future? Question number one. What is one thing you currently splurge on by fi standards and why do you splurge on it and why does it bring value to your life
2: food god i love eating out oh my god (laughs) because it's worth it because living in a metropolitan city comes with a lot of diversity and that's something that i have loved from day one i love to eat every single culture And that has been my dream since I was a little girl, except we were poor and we couldn't afford it. But now that we have money, that is one acceptable splurge that I am more than happy
1: to share. Awesome. Okay, Lily, that is so cool. Second question. What is one skill that you feel you have mastered that is responsible for the successes that you guys have enjoyed up to date? And also, what is another skill that you currently don't have, but you are currently working on getting?
2: I am probably the best person at introspection. I have to figure out what I really, really wanted to do in life. And by getting here, it kind of put me on an even hotter seat to figure it out. And then now I'm trying to work on productivity. I've been working a lot with different productivity apps to try to see which one clicks for me so I can optimize my time the best I can to have a fulfilling, goal-filled life. Since I'm already here and I'm happy with most things, what I'm looking for is building even further a legacy.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that one because that's what I'm trying to do too. I'm trying to just kind of build my skills so I am the best possible version of myself. I think I might know the answer to this one, but let's move on to question number three. Would you rather be given $500 every day for the rest of your life or $1 million right now?
2: Uh, $500 for the rest of my life. And why? You get more money. I mean, <laughs> if you is it taxed? Because that might change.
0: The no, life. no, not taxed.
2: Okay, I I want $500 for the rest of my
0: life. So I thought, okay, it could go either way. My rationale is. I know you like the safety of just the cash in hand because you don't like trusting the market. But if you had some crazy idea, and I know you're a grinder, like you could get it done. If you had a million right now, I'm sure you could found some company and that's a sizable chunk of money. So if you think you could outpace the returns that you'd get from that 500 every day with a million, I feel like that would be the only scenario where you might choose that.
2: I don't think I need a million to start anything.
0: (laughs) That's true. But you could definitely have a scalable business if you had some crazy idea that you need a lot of capital for
2: oh they don't need a lot of capital because i have no competition strangely <laughs> it's weird i don't know why i started this three years ago and still nothing i'm just like okay i guess it's just me then which is more reason that. why if there's something wrong with me i should definitely pursue this i don't know maybe there's a reason why but i'll find out it doesn't really matter because i mean if you tell me if i want another million when i have a million what, what do i no i don't really care um but $500 yeah. for the rest of my life, that's 187 I mean, I'm pretty sure you could just save up for a year. And if I knew I was getting $500 for the rest of my life guaranteed, I have no trouble saying bye-bye to the million I already have. So,
1: Right. Every single day. Yeah, that's a lot of money.
2: Yeah, every <laughs> single day for the rest of my life. I'm planning to live 60 years at least more. So
1: right. you're going
2: to be bankrupt if you make time to <laughs> deal with that.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see your rationale there, Lily. And I'm gonna bring in one last question, and this is the wild card question. I am making this up on the spot. We do not have these pre written down or anything like that. It's literally what's coming off the top of my head. What has been your favorite meal over the past year? You said you're a big foodie, so I'm really curious to hear this.
2: Ethiopian food. Kifo, raw meat.
0: Hmm, yummy. Hmm. I've never tried it before. Like what does that taste like? Raw meat. Is it beef? Is it chicken or
2: it is um what is that called? Hala? it's H A L, yeah so it's a special kind of it's a very very fancy premium grade meat like grind fresh in ethiopia they probably like you know kill the cow the day of making it to make sure that it's you know as um clean as possible because it is raw meat and in the united states they kind of sear it but they still get it on the day of and they sear it a little bit so you're they're not like completely liable but it's just basically a bowl of ground minced raw meat with clarified butter and a special type of Ethiopian chili pepper and I know it sounds simple but it is like the most delicious thing one person could have in their mouth (laughs) and I totally would it's so good that I'm willing to risk stomach worms for it it's that good (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even joking
0: not gonna lie I'm kind of hungry right now
1: and now I'm a lot (laughs) hungrier (laughs) Yeah, I have to find that. I have to test that out for myself. Crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now I have one more thing to add
0: because I'm huge into food, too. I'm like the most unpicky person ever. So I'm. that's definitely added to the things Cody has to try at list. <laughs> so thanks again so much for coming on, Lily. This has been an amazing episode. And we're just really glad you could share this information with us.
2: It's been an honor talking to you guys and getting to know you guys. And yeah.
0: <laughs> so that was Lily from The Frugal Gene. And something that I really took away from this episode was just how humble she is. She thinks it's normal to make almost $300,000 and spend thirty. That's a 90% savings rate, and she thinks that's not out of the ordinary. And even by FI standards, not to mention, quote-unquote, normal people standards, that savings rate is just astronomical. So let's look at the key takeaways from today's episode. Key takeaway number one. You can never be too careful. Lily and her husband both think that the market is bloated right now. If you're about to pull the fire trigger, maybe you should think about getting a side hustle, earning some side income, just in case some type of recession does hit. You at least have a little bit of a cushion so you don't have to go crawling back to your job. Key takeaway number two, live the life you want to live today. Don't wait for permission. Don't wait until it's the right time. Cut out the things you don't need and don't want and start building a life of intentionality and one of design. Lily demonstrated this perfectly. She had a rental property that was bringing in great income, but it was a headache. So she just got rid of it because it didn't bring her happiness. And she explains this very well that we don't have to suffer. We can, if we're smart about it, if we make the right choices, we can build this lifestyle that we want to live and that we enjoy every single day. Key takeaway number three, you can actually thrive in a high cost of living area if you know about these five concepts. Like Lily was saying, she can command higher rent in our Airbnb in a high cost of living area. There are tons of free things to do in the city in a high cost of living area. If she were to go out and do Turo, she could command more for renting out her car because she lives in a high cost of living area. There are definitely some inherent benefits. And if you can take advantage of them, if you can minimize your transportation costs, if you can minimize your own housing costs, then you can really benefit from living in this really dense metropolitan area. And Lily was a perfect example of that. So thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to continue the discussion, you can join our Facebook community at firebelowzero.com community or leave us a voicemail at firebelowzero.com voicemail. And everything that we talked about today in the show can be found in the show notes at firebelowzero.com slash frugalgene. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating, review, and subscribe. It just lets the podcast players know that we're giving you valuable information and we are taking the time to create a podcast that you want to listen to. So thank you again. This has been another episode of the Fire Below Zero podcast, a cooler approach to financial independence. Wait, what was the last thing that was said? I'm
1: blanking now. Maybe I'm just um, just, an idiot. <laughs> just me kind of ranting about, you know, being intentional and blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it's yeah. <laughs> there you go. Okay.